0: This conference will now be recorded.
1: Hello, good afternoon and welcome to today's GRN webinar. Why is it that psychometric tools can help predict future performance? Uh, So delighted uh, so many of you can join us today. Um, Despite storms, new variants, and who knows what, um, we are very, very pleased that we've got a good turnout. Um, so we've got um, about 45 minutes or so and we're going to cover psychometric tools and we have a a brilliant speaker coming along Uh, but before all that uh, for the benefit of some of our new members uh, of which we have a few today uh, in the room just like to introduce myself Uh, my name is Dan Hawes and I am the co-founder of the GRB group so I co-founded the GRB group in 1997 Uh, after graduating in business studies from Brighton University. The GRB group have grown to become the go-to platform for high caliber university students, recent graduates, alumni, and employers. We have over 50 staff. Uh, We're based down on the south coast in Brighton, and we have over 2,000 clients across all sectors, Uh, companies you'll definitely have heard of, like Amazon, uh, IBM, Unilever, and Ocado, and also several fast-growing SMEs. Uh, Our recruitment experts have successfully matched over 8,000 graduates with full-time graduate or executive level jobs. Um, The GRB group, um, so there are three main divisions, I guess. Uh, You've got Graduate Recruitment Bureau who provide contingency recruitment or uh, outsourced recruitment or RPO. Uh, for a range of different companies, uh, different sizes, uh, different sectors all over the UK. So that's what Graduate Recruitment Bureau do. Cortex and Metrica, they are our experienced higher divisions. So we help clients who are looking for graduates with up to five years experience in either IT, and that's what Cortex covers, or analytical skills, which is what Metrica covers. So um, we are also able to ha- supply those kind of candidates to organisations as well. Um, some other developments: uh, Graduate Mentor uh, was an initiative we launched in August 2020 uh, to try to mitigate the effects of the pandemic, specifically uh, for students and graduates from diverse backgrounds, underrepresented groups, and disadvantaged groups. Uh, give them a um, an opportunity to connect with some brilliant mentors. So if you're interested in uh, joining that programme. Um, which is entirely free to use for mentees and mentors, uh, do let me know at the end. Uh, we also have various other activities. So we have a, a regular podcast called Student Diaries, where we interview a couple of students every month, uh, give you the opportunity to see what life is like for a modern student. As you can imagine, we're very active on LinkedIn. And um, so do uh, check us out Uh, on LinkedIn. We regularly post updates, news, surveys, that kind of thing. Not much happens in graduate recruitment without us knowing about it uh, and we do like to share on LinkedIn. Uh, We also have uh, something called Rising Stars. So this has been going for about 10 years where we showcase 50 of the top final year students in the UK. So we're speaking to students and graduates all the time and we identify 50 that we think are academically very, very good, but also maybe have this X factor. They've got something a bit special about them. So this is a very good opportunity for you to have a shop window into the caliber of our candidates. So um, we call them rising stars. Uh, We also cater for students who are looking to set up their own business uh, and go their own way. Uh, That's called Student Startup and GRN, Graduate Graduate Recruiters Network. So let me explain a little bit more about that. Um, GRM was set up uh, by GRB back in January 2009. Now, this was originally for our clients to group them together and chat about recruitment issues. But over the years, we extended it to other stakeholders uh, in graduate recruitment and also friends of our um, of our business. So it's a nice broad range of members who tend to be either HR advisors, HRBP, recruitment managers, directors, early talent leads at that kind of level, and we discuss current topics, presented by a mix of relevant and influential speakers. The emphasis is on members to share best practice in a confidential environment, enhance your learning, and help you become even better graduate recruiters. Membership is pretty strong. Uh, We're currently on 3,194 members, Uh, so we've onboarded 24 new members in the last month, and welcome to some of you who are in the room today and they represent a huge range of different organizations. So we have some very big players from uh, FTSE 100 uh, organizations, all the way through to fast-growing SME recruiters, Um, but they all share an interest in early talent or graduate recruitment. So it's a really nice uh, mix of individuals. As a member, you'll receive invites to events and webinars, access to the LinkedIn forum, our updated blog, surveys and a quarterly newsletter there is the opportunity to uh, become a vip member for only 25 pounds a month and there are several other benefits uh, that you can have um, uh, as a vip member so we're happy to share that with anyone who's interested at the end okay so it's always interesting um to share with you who is actually in the room so what i did is uh, grabbed all of your job titles and put it into a word cloud and you can see here um, the kind of uh, level we have um, in the webinar today. So we do have a few careers advisors, welcome to you from a variety of different universities actually. Um, And we also have people involved with uh, employability, uh, talent engagement, um, talent development, um, and they're either heads of divisions or managers, that kind of level. So these are all uh, invitation only um, members who've come along today and we're hoping to find out a little bit more about psychometric testing. So the agenda, we're going to kick off in a minute. Well, I'll introduce uh, our speaker Jesper, who was actually uh, highly recommended from a previous speaker on our webinar, uh, Alex Tovey. Uh, You may recall her uh, webinar a couple of months ago. Um, um, So uh, Jesper will be talking shortly for around half an hour. And then as usual, we we throw it open to um, our attendees. If you do have any questions, um, put them in the chat box. uh, You'll see on the right hand side. I'll be checking that throughout the webinar and I'll put any questions you have uh, to to Jesper. We'll aim to finish by about 1.30 and uh, we'll let you crack on with your day. But if you do have to duck out, don't worry, we have recorded this and I will be sharing the link uh, so you can listen back to this webinar on demand. Okay, so Jesper, um, I have to say um, he has been uh, suffering with COVID unfortunately, um, but he's feeling okay and he's happy to present to us. So we are extremely grateful uh, for Jesper to come along today and and, um, share his experience uh, on psychometric testing, but he's got a very impressive uh, bio. Um, He's a managing partner at Humanistics, a consulting company focusing on HR, and different assessment tools from the predictive index he spent over 30 years in shipping and logistics and senior leadership positions in asia and europe and today he spends his time advising companies on leadership and talent optimization including how to deploy predictive index uh, he also has a number of ned positions including chairman of new york shipping exchange and he's an active investor in a number of startup companies jesper i'm going to hand over the reins to you um as we hear from you uh on psychometric testing let me uh make you the presenter one second all right there so you are I... yes hello you. lovely to see you
0: <laughs> likewise then <laughs> and as, as you said then i'm uh I'm a COVID uh, recovering right now. So I guess in the world we're living right now, it's great that we can sit behind our individual webcams here. And since, uh, since you guys have uh, decided that you don't want to work with us in Europe, you know, I can sit here in Denmark and uh, I can still reach into the UK without any of the troubles that would otherwise be associated with that. But uh, thanks for the intro, Dan. I guess I can just uh, I just take it away.
1: Yes, please, Jesper, over to you. I can see your slides. Hopefully everyone else can. Um, and if there are any questions, uh, please put them in the chat box. I'll be keeping an eye on those. Thank you, Super. Jesper. Good. Um,
0: so let's kick off. The, the, the theme was how uh, psychometric tools can be used to help predict future performance. And I have uh, four sort of sub items that I wanna cover in the process of that. Uh, that are one of the key data points and why are they important then it's behavior and motivational drivers why don't people know their own preferences then I'm going to talk about uh, cognitive score which is a very powerful predictor but also a predictor that generates a lot of uh, apprehension and why is that and then generally throughout this year it's going to be very much about data driven approach to forecast also in HR. Dan gave an introduction of me. Uh, so as you can hear, I'm not, I'm not grown up in the HR field. I've, I've sort of grown up in the uh, area of general management, but have always taken a, a keen interest in the area of psychometrics. In the company that I grew up in, we used psychometrics amongst line managers and uh, between HR and line managers to make sure that we had a common language. Uh, which I've always thought was critically important, that it was not a matter of HR coming to me and lecturing me on, on how things were to, to be done or me being totally ignorant about uh, how HR would think about uh, uh, these things. So I've always taken a keen interest in that and that's why I, I take great pleasure uh, right now in spending most of my time actually advising companies on how they get the most out of using uh, uh Predictive index in different contexts of their organization. So what we are in the business of predicting the future performance of an individual in a given role. So that, that's sort of the task, right? Whenever you want to recruit someone, or for that matter, promote or relocate or put a team together, that's the task, right? That is you're you're trying to, to look into the future and predict how an individual is gonna perform. Now that comes with certain complexities. And I know that I'm talking to a very distinguished group of people here. And some of this is gonna be preaching to the choir, I'm sure, but I'm I'm, I'm gonna risk it anyway. Some of the complexities we have when we are trying to do that is that people are complex. Well, surprise, right? But they are, what does that mean? Well, HR also has a tradition of being a sensory business. And a sensory business by that, I mean, you know, I think, and I feel, and I believe are are, are sort of terms that are very often used in HR. And when you're up against other business disciplines, which arrives well armed with projections based on data, then sometimes HR falls short because of of that lack of, of, uh, of, of data focus. Candidates say one thing and mean another. Hmm, they arrive on their best behavior, maybe even dressed up for the occasion. So, what is this all about? Well, they're trying to get a job. So, no surprise there either. Do I like the one that I'm interviewing? Well, we know from countless studies that we all have our own bias. People generally are most inclined to uh, take well to people who behave like they do and on the opposite if people behave differently we have a tendency of judging them. That's not very conducive if you're sitting in a process where you again are trying to predict a person's uh, chances of performing in a future role. Then there's the one minute CV uh, review Um, and when I say that it's because again studies have shown that rarely do people spend more than one minute just browsing through a CV. And still that CV tends to be the deciding factor, whether you end up in one stack and say, no, thank you. Uh, I have no interest in you. Or you end up in the other stack that says, yeah, let's, let's call the person in for an interview. Then there's the issue of uh, jack of all trades, and the issue there is that you may have in, in your professional life experience situation where you're being asked to find a person, a person who's, you know, uh, people-oriented, very analytically strong, quality-conscious, things out of the box, get things done in a hurry, and at the same time being very meticulous, persistent in uh, his or her approach. Now, I've just describe the person that doesn't exist. But if you brought that up to this hiring manager, as an example, they would probably say, you know, forget about it, just go and do it anyway. So you end up with these requirements that are actually contradicting. Then there's the candidate experience. Um, We we all know that the, the new generations coming up there is a shortage of talent. Uh, certain parts of the of, of business are finding it increasingly difficult to attract people. Now, if you put your candidate through a very rigorous process, you at least gotta be conscious of what that does to the candidate experience and what those candidates will say afterwards. So you gotta find that trade-off of, of how you do it. And finally, those that I turn down should see the process as fair and transparent. And this seems obvious, but I can say that from personal experience over many years of business, there are countless businesses out there, even large uh, reputable businesses that talks about um, uh, brand, that talks about candidate experience, that pays very little attention to how candidates see the process that they go through when they apply for a job with them. Is it transparent? Is it clear? Do they get a response? Uh, Does it seems like the the criteria was, uh, was fair and objective and so on? At the end of the day, you have a few that gets the job and the majority that are being told, sorry, we've decided to move on with other candidates. Now, those who gets that message of "sorry, we've decided to move on with other candidates," do they see this company as a good company, or the opposite? Or in other words, will they will these candidates be ambassadors for this company, or the opposite? And and I think that has huge ramifications going forward as well, uh, particularly when we believe that, that consumers will have an increasing influence on on business. Uh, that that if you don't understand how to navigate in that territory you can really hurt your own business okay that was sort of a a bit of, of context now if I if I look at a graduate recruitment process and you you could look at this as any recruitment process but graduate recruitment process where is it that we should turn to to get the highest predictive value data points well if we start by looking at how this is typically done and I'm sure some of you can probably recognize this in your own company or companies that you've you've advised on this year that if, if you have a funnel and in this case in a graduate process this is actually one of our clients they get about 2,000 um, applications every year for their graduate program they end up taking about ten of those. Now how do you filter that in a manner that's effective, fair and leaves people with a good impression of of the whole thing. And there there are things in there on on education, uh, your grades, your international experience, your work experience and so on that you would of course be looking at. If we now go in and look at some of the studies on What actually has the highest predictive value? What data points helps us the most? Then there's a very interesting thing. If you look at poor predictors here, you can see that education is one of the poorest predictors of future performance. Again, I'm not saying that if you're looking for a medical doctor, that you would just take anyone. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that. Generally, the education may be a, uh, a qualifier to be in the running for this job, but it will have very little predictive value in saying how well will you perform in this particular role. The other one that I thought is, is quite interesting is that uh, great point average has about a 12 point, uh, 12% uh, predictability value when you look at future performance. Not very impressive. Then you can move up to what we what we call okay predictors, things like integrity tests, interviews. Interviews depend a whole lot on who conducts them and how structured they are. And that's one of the things that are very difficult, particularly if you're trying to scale. That you may have individuals who are brilliant in this interview uh, process uncovering the things you need to know and understand but how do you scale that up across a number of people who are involved in this uh, recruitment process. But what we can say is that if you go in and look at behavioral and cognitive assessments then you get a much higher predictive value than you do for all the other data points. Now, I'm not saying that you should only have those data points.
1: I'm saying never do without them. Now, if I look at that
0: funnel again, so what we would put in there would then be the personality assessment and the cognitive ability. Not because we're trying to replace those two uh, or have those two replace everything else. But we want to add them to the process so that we get a much more nuanced and deeper uh, uh, impression of the individual candidates. You also have the ability here that if you if you cast the net quite wide in terms of how many you address, that if you uh, uh, that if you do that using cognitive and behavioral, you can actually avoid making some of those. CV mistakes, i.e. look at a CV and say ah, didn't really like it and put it aside. Now you actually have the ability at a very early stage in the process to look at the CV as well as behavioral, as well as, as cognitive and now you have a much better foundation for making a decision for who you want to call in for the next interview. What we typically do, we talk about head heart and briefcase and we do that because of course it's the entire person that matters so if, if you want to understand the entire person you got to look at all the different things if you're looking at again hiring a, an, an experienced engineer who knows all about bridge construction and how concrete hardens of course the briefcase becomes quite important there's there's no negotiation around this this has to be in place whereas if you're looking at a young individual uh, maybe fresh out of school uh, or university um, or just a few years out of, of university then there are probably other things that are more important the briefcase doesn't say much because you know face it um, You know, an education is something you can take. It may take you three or five years, but you can you can take it. You can you can change the briefcase. Whereas if you look up at what we here call genetics, those things are pretty much hardwired once you are a mature adult. So if you're looking at a position that requires sort of a more generalist nature and requires People who are younger of age, in terms of less experience, I would probably look a lot more on genetics than I would look at the briefcase. But again, it's not because it's one or the other. It's it's, it's a matter of navigating in each each situation and saying, what do I spend most time on? Now I get the perspectives. And even though I've now, you know, I only have one engineer who applied for this job, and I need this person. I would still want to understand the genetics and 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 what is the motivational factors of this individual but it's it's a matter of how you navigate uh, according to the circumstances you're sitting in. So how wide do you actually cast the net? By that I mean some people talk about this in terms of whispering talent versus shouting talent and if I mean Starting with, with shouting talent. Shouting talent would be as an example uh, this individual who went to uh, the top school, uh, top grades, spent uh, five years uh, with McKinsey and now uh, at an age of 30 is looking for a new job as a business executive of some sort. Well that's pretty much shouting talent right. I mean if, if you get these turning up for a job chances are you're gonna you're gonna hire them or at least you're gonna look carefully at them before you dismiss them. Whispering talent, they're the ones who have potentially a very high cognitive score, who would fit right into the role that you're looking for given their personality traits. They did not go to a top school, they may not have gotten uh, great uh, grades in, in, in school because you know life was more about partying in those particular years right and we know that our education system very much measures how few mistakes you make i.e if you make few mistakes you get high grades whereas if you get out in the real world you don't say you know how few mistakes have you made you're looking at what kind of opportunities can a person create for this company now whispering talent are those people who has what it takes and would do great in this particular role. If you cast the net wide enough you have the ability to also get to those that are whispering talent and to me that's that's really interesting. Also when we talk about disadvantaged groups and when when we talk about uh, people who, who may not have been able to afford that uh, most expensive way through education system we actually have an ability to still shine a light on those that could go in and do a great job in these positions. So what's then the sweet spot? How, how do you navigate in all this? Well one of the things you gotta be uh, careful of is that the candidate experience Must be top-notch. You cannot afford to put your candidate through a barrage of tests for them to sort of roll their eyes and say, Oh my god, I mean, this may be a great company, but here I am sitting here six hours later, going through one test after the other, and what's the meaning of all that? So there's got to be relative, in my opinion, relatively few assessments. And when you do these assessments, and that's the one you see on the right, that's this two by two where you have depth fidelity uh, on the horizontal axis and ease of use on the vertical. And particularly if there are uh, psychologists amongst you, then fidelity is an expression of the nuances a personality assessment will uncover. And the more nuances you uncover, the more you also go down towards the lower right corner. Where it says clinical diagnostic tools so if you're right down there you will have tools that clinical psychologists use to help treat patients brilliant tools scientifically scientifically validated and all that but but very long uh, and and very uh, tedious and you require a lot of specialist knowledge to to work with these tools now generally in the lower right quadrant you have brilliant tools that are a long details and require specialist knowledge and certain companies they just love that they are more expensive they take more time and um, I would say be careful because many a times the candidate experience suffers when you go in and use uh, a, a lot of these tools then where the little red dot says PI here what what you have in the sort of in that corner up there is you have tools that are scientifically validated so whatever they say can actually be documented and that's quite important that you you work with tools that are validated that stands up to scrutiny if people really go in and look at at, at that Um, and and what you have up there are tools that are quick easy uh, scalable Can be used to sort of create that common language uh, in a company or between HR and line managers as an example. Um, And again, they don't uncover as much as the very deep tools you have down in the lower right quadrant, but they probably uncover enough, considering that this is at the end of the day, just one of many data points that you would be looking at. So now I'm just going to jump to why don't people know their own preferences and and uh that's that's the thing about self awareness self awareness uh some become more self aware with age that's not a necessity you have lots of people out there and you may know some who do not necessarily become more insightful about how they come across on others just because they've grown older but what we generally operate with is is a term that's referred to as social desirability and that is in particularly important when you talk about people who are relatively fresh out of university. It it also applies to older people but you can say that, um, that if you have people who are just out of school then they may have certain ideas of what they want to do in terms of making big bucks and having the top job and having that that that, that right whatever which is perfectly all right but may not necessarily uh, line up with what are their personality traits and what are they willing to to do to get to that point and i can give you a, an example of this uh, I worked with a group of MBA students and uh, these was eight of these MBA students, they they actually got interviewed by uh, a trade magazine. And they each of them, they uh, told about, you know, their experience of taking this MBA, and they uh, spoke about their expectations for their future career. Now that they soon would be uh, finished with this MBA, and they all spoke about, you know, the big job that they were going to get and how their career and senior executive and so on to be expected i guess when you join an MBA class then i actually sat with them and, and each of these eight had a um, psychometric assessment and surprise surprise very very different amongst the eight and some of them would you know be quite naturally suited into a job where you have to make a lot of quick decision based on minimum data and continue doing that day in and day out. Others would be much more suitable in a position where they had the time to dive in deeper and become absorbed in the complexities of whatever topic they were looking at. just as as two examples. So, so the point being that of course you you don't want to take the dreams out of people, but it's always a good um, idea, in my opinion, to, to to try and get an understanding of if you want this, it comes with that. So so have that, that understanding of saying that, well, if you if you want the top job. Are you aware that you will be sitting and making decisions that has an impact on a lot of people on a daily basis and sometimes you will have to cut through even though you don't necessarily have all the data you are comfortable with in order to just move on. So just um, just to, to, to leave the point with you and to me that's very important that there are no good or bad profiles because that's one of the traps you have when you're working with psychometric tools. That is that you will have people who become incredibly dogmatic and think that you know there, there are good profiles, and bad profiles and if I only stick to the good profiles I'm, I'm going to be okay. That's certainly not the case. There's no such thing here as, as one size fits all. That, that, that doesn't work. So just as an example here, if you look at, at different development stages of a company, I mean, startup, the companies that survive the startup phase move into rapid growth, those that survives rapid growth typically become mature companies. Now, depending on where this company is, and this is just on these parameters, the typical leadership profiles you have in these roles, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. That's not the idea. The idea is to show that, depending on where this company is, depending on where this department is, depending on what this particular role requires, there'll be different profiles that will naturally be motivated by living up to what this job requires. I could, you know, speak for hours awesome. about this because this, to me, is incredibly important also because if you talk to senior executives they tend to take a liking to their own profile i think that well if if i have this profile it served me well this must be great i'll just look for that well that's not the idea here the idea is that you actually become conscious of how different profile fits in and potentially even complement you rather than just produce more of you same with with, with sales profiles, right? These are just examples again. And, and and again, the message is no, there's no such thing as one sales profile. It depends on the circumstances, the roles, the size, the you know what what are you supposed to do. So different uh, profiles de- depending on the circumstances. That was personality profiling. Now let me talk briefly about cognitive as a predictor. And cognitive score is the single strongest predictor of future performance. This may be a little provocative to some of you, but, but it's, it is something that science have studied and proven time and again. Um, you, there are actually studies that shows that that cognitive score has a positive correlation to a number of other things. in in life. So in in so many ways does cognitive correlate to a number of things in the future. So I'm not saying that you should only look at cognitive. I'm saying that cognitive is the single strongest data point and I would personally never hire someone without having that cognitive score uh, available to me why is it that there is this apprehension about cognitive science is very clear very convincing when it comes to the strength of cognitive but still you have a lot of people who become a little apprehensive about it some of the reasons that i've come across is that a cognitive assessment is more binary than personality assessments In you know, a cognitive assessment there are actually right or wrong answers. So it becomes a little more binary. Higher is a little nicer than a higher score is a little nicer than a lower score. There are different ways of collecting this data point. Again keeping the day the, the candidate experience in mind uh, you can you can do two hour long cognitive tests and, and there's no end to it. And again there's diminishing returns and i would be very very conscious of doing that because you end up creating a horrible candidate experience then i would always use it a time of entry so having it as a standard process a standard point in a recruitment process as an example whereas using it on an existing organization is much more difficult because and that uh, ties in with with bullet 4 here What it measures, it measures learning speed, processing speed. You can have a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer with a modest cognitive score, but who's become really brilliant within his or her field. They may have taken a little longer to learn. They may have had to work a little harder to get there, but now they master this uh, topic and they are good at what they do. Now, if you went in and you did a cognitive assessment broadly in an organization and you came across an individual like this with a modest cognitive score and you looked at what do i do with this information now well you have a good performer so i hope you would just say you're a great performer nothing happens but still you've now the genie is out of the box so to speak so so i would be very careful doing it on an existing organization but if you have the data point at time of of entry you would also know that let's say that this is a lawyer that this particular lawyer is is well advised to stay on topic and even though the person does it really well if you should know that if you promote this person into a role of leadership for the legal department chances are this person is going to be stressed out not at all comfortable and not do a very good job right so you've taken a good performer and turned into a horrible performer and finally, is what if my score is? That's that's also a source of great apprehension of, of people saying, you know, oh, do, do I really want to know, and what what do I use it for? So that's that's why you have the apprehension. Uh, some of you may have come across other things, or, or personally have other apprehensions about it. But but again, I would I would still hold on to what science tells us in terms of having an unbeatable a uh, predictive data point that we definitely should make use of, in my opinion. This is just a little bit about what cognitive abilities matters. It matters a whole lot in terms of picking up new knowledge, navigating in an organization and understanding what's what's going on. High trainability, as it also says there. So if, if you have a person who has very little knowledge, but has a high cognitive, you know that this person would pick up much faster than uh, than average. That was the end of my presentation, and it's actually ten past ten, so I guess I'm, I'm right on time.
1: You are indeed, Jasper. Thank you very much. Um, and that was great. Uh, Thirty minutes there, giving us an overview of. Uh, psychometrics and they have been around for a while I didn't realize but um, they first came about in the 1880s I think in uh, University of Cambridge I believe so there's a lot of history um, over the uh, effectiveness of psychometric testing and they're always improving and certainly technology will be helping um, uh, this development and it's certainly worth having this in your your toolkit so yeah thank you very much Jess but now I know everyone's super busy, but this is an opportunity now to ask any questions uh, directly to Jesper. Um, He will be available uh, now to take any questions. So if you want to um, put something in the chat um, and I'll put that uh, to him. But uh, we also have the opportunity if you um, uh, would like to do this later on uh, on the LinkedIn forum. So do visit uh, the Graduate Recruiters Network LinkedIn forum and you'll be able to post a question on there to Jasper. He's kindly made himself available for the next uh, 24 hours. Um, I have a question um, for you. Now, what was very interesting was you talked about being able to measure learning speed um, by cognitive testing, which is really, really interesting. Um, Now, do... Are you able to game the system? Is my question for, for, for a graduate? Can they do this test one time, get one result, do it another time, and get another result? Is there any way um, graduates can at, you know are able to to, to to cheat in these in these tests? Um you can there are there are countless
0: ways of, of of cheating, but you can say yeah. that what you normally do to prevent that is having a dynamic test. The one that we used, which is predictive uh, index cognitive assessment, has a database of questions, and uh, the the candidate will get in and have 12 minutes, 50 questions. Right. You cannot do 50 questions, so it's 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 a stress test. That's you know processing speed, and then mm. it's. A shift between numeric, verbal, and abstract questions. Now, if you were to do this again, if I taken it and I come back to take this as a second test, the system will recognize me and give me fifty new questions. So that oh, that, that that's a key point in avoiding mm-hmm. people sort of taking a, a sort of a cheat sheet and saying, "I know all the answers." Yeah. So, so so that's the second thing that people normally say, well, can you actually train your cognitive ability? And the answer is, nah, probably not. You can Mm. make sure you improve up to your potential. And so if you look at, at the assessment we are using, those 50 questions, if you had all the time in the world, you would have no problem answering these questions they right. require about 9 years of schooling so there's nothing you know uh, high level mathematics or you, you don't need to uh, recall capital cities or what do i know right it's, it's 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 processing speed um and so you can of course train yourself in the sense that uh, working with um figures working with uh, um, data series and so on to sort of give some gymnastics to your to your to your brain but you, you cannot improve beyond your potential
1: brilliant yeah because graduates are so prepared um, for interviews for assessment centers um, and there are lots of tools online that they can prepare in speech marks um, for for um, psychometric tests but it's interesting to know that you can you can certainly practice but you can't get any better in terms of the results so um, that's good to know that it's a you know pretty robust um, yeah. form, of, form of assessment um, we've got another question here from Anna thank you Anna um, what's your top technique for cognitive assessment well
0: the one that I work with and I've worked with for, for many years is this uh, uh, predictive index cognitive assessment. And right. um, again, I, I like it because it's, it's 12 minutes, it's, it's quick, it's uh, non-invasive, right. and it gives a, a, a good picture in a relatively short period of time. So candidate experience is good and you still get a, a strong data point.
1: Great. Thank you, Jesper. Uh, another question from Laura. Thank you. Um, integrity tests were mentioned early on. What are these? Apologies, I may have missed your explanation.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I shouldn't have mentioned it because I'm, I'm probably a little short for words there in terms of integrity tests. It's right. If I just take over this,
1: can I share my screen again? Y- yes, of course. Uh, one second. Okay, yeah, so what I wanted
0: to do is because if, if you look at what you actually can do then you have uh, a, a ton of assessments you can use and each of them comes with their own uh, strength and weaknesses so here you see, you see the integrity test um, honesty ethics and trustworthiness. Uh, And they are devised in different manners. And and the idea is that you actually have pros and cons of all of these things and having those readily available when you sort of devise that recruitment process, I think is critically important. And again, one of the things I personally find very interesting is that a lot of companies today, they, they have this propensity to use cases. So, they would call mm-hmm. people in, uh, graduates in, for, and do one day or two days of, of case writing. And case writing, we know, has a very high predictive value. But we also know that they're incredibly tedious, expensive, uh, and complex to maintain. Right. And still, in terms of predictive value, they are no stronger than cognitive assessment.
1: Hmm. Wow. I'm not, um. I'm not
0: saying again. I'm not saying you should never do cases. I'm just saying mm. it's an interesting thing that if, if you have all the time and the resources in the world, by all means, you can you have the chance of going in and doing this. And, and if, you are, if you're if you're McKinsey or one of the big banks or w- where you have thousands of people lining up, uh, you can you can get away with it. You can afford it. Um, if if you're in a different situation, you have other means.
1: Good. That's a great slide, that one. And I will will share these slides, by the way, um, to uh, anyone who who requests um, these slides, uh, PDF version. I can certainly share that. Um, We've got another question from Hannah. Um, Very interesting. She hasn't come across your company before, uh, maybe because you're in Copenhagen. I don't know if you have an office in in London, perhaps, but um, um, she has asked, um that a cognitive test is a specific type of psychometric that looks at mental processing speed where do you think other assessments sit such as group exercises presentation analysis exercises that kind of thing are they as good a predictor you, th- you, can, that's what yeah.
0: you can do that so you can do uh you can do behavioral interviews. So if you're a trained psychologist and you have 2-3 hours available in an interview with a person, you can uncover a ton of stuff about this person. So when you have psychometric assessment, it's sort of a shortcut to right. get to the bottom of this right. You could do the same if you do if you ask people to work together and see how they interact with each other. You can also get a lot out of observing that. You can also yeah. do it the other way around so that when you use these personality assessments, you can use those personality assessment when you establish teams. So that on one hand, you want to make sure that you have diversity in the team, but you mm-hmm. do know that when you have diversity, you also have a tendency of people judging people that are different. So you want right. to make sure that people understand that those differences are not an expression of lack of competence, which we would very often say it is, but more a matter of different preferences. And once you understand that, you have a chance of respecting it. And once you respect it, you begin to find strength in those
1: differences. Yeah, brilliant. I hope that uh, answers your uh, question, Hannah. Thank you, Jesper. Uh, one other question here from Steve, thank you. Uh, in an ever competitive job market, how much should you flex your benchmark in order to see more candidates? And how can you ensure that doesn't affect future performance? well in a competitive job market
0: in my opinion you would want to make sure that you have a transparent clear and fair process and uh, no matter what a candidate asks you about you can stand up and say i do it because of so and so um so so that to me is is it's a starting point that that you need to, to to do this there's nothing there's nothing uh covert or or you know i'm I'm trying to sneak things in and i can't really explain why we do this but let's do it anyway and so that that's just that's just awful if you if you end up in a situation like that
1: sure Um we've got so one final question jesper if that's all right um it's from a career service and obviously they're very keen to advise their students and graduates to prepare for cognitive tests and we talked about before how um, there's a limit to what you can do, but what what advice would you give to um, a graduate about to take their first cognitive test? What can they do to make them relax for one and secondly to um, any other brain gymnastics like you said before so you 're at, at your best when you uh, you go online to do these tests
0: yeah i think that that 's the issue you, you need to be at your best make sure that you have a, a fresh head and make sure that you understand that this is a high-stake situation, right?
1: Right, yeah. You
0: know, I had, I had, a, I had a client once who, who sort of said, you know, it's, it's unfair that here someone is being given uh, 12 minutes cognitive, and then uh, that could be make the difference between getting the job or not getting the job. And I said, first of all, don't ever just use one data point. You have many data points. But secondly, yeah. what I think is really unfair is if someone is being dismissed by a cursory look on the
1: cv that's unfair mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's uh that's that's really good advice that so you know don't be too casual about um taking these these tests they they are a very strong indicator and obviously uh recruiters pay a lot of um spend a lot of time uh, looking through the data and making sure that um, you know people are going to be able to to, like you say learn quickly that's a really key um, characteristic that that individuals have when they they start a company especially for graduates because they they're pretty green they don't have much experience so they hopefully developed um, a habit for continuous learning by going to university and that will carry through um, to to the workplace so That's brilliant advice. Thank you, Jesper. Um, We're gonna uh, wrap up now. um, And just to remind you that you can jump on the uh, LinkedIn forum, ask any questions uh, to Jesper. I'll I'll update this uh, in the next few hours. Um, We have recorded this and all our other webinars. So do check out uh, our previous webinars on demand um, on our uh, YouTube channel. And also, um, you're the first to Uh, hear about this, this is a new series for 2022. So we're going to be launching uh, this in January uh, with uh, Fresh Insights. So it'd be very similar to these webinars, but we've rebranded them as Fresh Insights. So we're going to be having three of those webinars throughout uh, next year. We're also introducing uh, two new uh, series for our members. Uh, The first one is The Great Debate. Um, I'm going to invite two panellists, uh, I'm going to talk about some challenging issues facing graduate recruiters, a whole range of different things. We're going to try and get some debate um, and hopefully some answers to some really thorny issues uh, that uh, you guys face. So look out for invitations to the great debate. And also we're introducing the leaders lunch. So this is going to be in person at the Institute of Chartered Accountants uh, in Moorgate, London. We've kindly agreed to host three uh, lunchtime uh, sessions for Uh, up to 20 members and I'm going to be personally inviting uh, 20 members to each of those lunches uh, next year so keep an eye out uh, for our new series uh, in 2022 fresh insights great debate and leaders lunch our first fresh insights is on Wednesday the 12th of January and we'll be talking about breaking down barriers how to make your recruitment process more inclusive Um, so keep that date in your diary Wednesday the 12th of January Thank you very much to Jesper, our wonderful speaker. Brilliant overview on psychometric testing uh, today. And thank you to all of you who've come along um, to listen in uh, to to Jesper and put your questions uh, to him. So um, I hope you have a brilliant uh, Christmas break. We'll see you on the other side and uh, have a good uh, day. Thank you.